Welcome to Leadership Behind the Scenes with me, Nomi Natan, Executive Coach and Leadership Consultant. In this podcast, we champion human-friendly leadership because you're human first and leader second. We share tips and insights on how you can increase your impact and influence so you can be the leader you've always dreamt of being and feel proud when you look in the mirror. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Leadership Behind the Scenes. I am thrilled to be bringing you this very first interview on the podcast. And this one was just too exciting not to have an interview about because there's so many assumptions and ideas that we have about how you run an organization and what is needed to manage the people and how to get it right. And most of the innovation just talks about sort of optimizing the process a little bit. But what if you completely dismissed the idea of the traditional performance review? What if you chose to have no line manager? What if you choose to say, Goodbye, hierarchy. How can you run an organization without all of that? And in fact, why? Why might you want to do that? Why might this save you a lot of distraction, a lot of politics, and have people focus on really just the value-adding activities? This is a really thought-provoking conversation, hopefully full of inspiration for you. So whether you absolutely love the line manager structure in your organization and it would not make any sense to take it away, I want you to get inspired and notice how so many of the policies and procedures we have in place perhaps aren't the best ones. What if you really question them? What if you get really curious about Is there a better way of doing this? So by listening to this interview, perhaps this is exactly the model you want to go with, but perhaps this is just a fresh take to have you wake up to how you could switch up what's going on in your organization and so that you focus in on the things that will be most value-adding and generate the most connection, the feeling of really being in it together. So this interview is with Simon Dixon, founder and owner of Hackmill, a supply chain and logistics consultancy in the UK. And you'll hear Simon's journey and how he navigated not recreating the structures that he knew from working at one of the big four. Uh, And he chose to go in a very different directions. And how does this work? I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Please bear with the sound hiccups. This was my first interview. And yes, there are some different sound challenges when you do interviews. The quality of the content is so worthwhile. So please bear with the sound hiccups. And um, take a breath. And let's dive in. Simon, welcome to Leadership Behind the Scenes. Where are you right now? Um, so I'm at home in North Yorkshire. Um, what are we in about the third month of lockdown now? Um, so uh, 
sort of getting used to spending most of my time working from home and looking after children, doing Zoom classes and all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, just just, uh, just at home, uh, looking forward to having a chat with you. So normally when there's not a pandemic, you don't work from home. Um, we do. Um, so as a business, we don't have offices. Um, and I can come on to a bit of the reasons why we don't do that probably later on in our, in our conversation. So, uh, But the, most of the team are home-based um, unless we're working for a client and then we, we work from a, a client site. Mm. And so you set up Hatmill in... 2009. So we've um, just gone past 11 years now. Um, so team of about just over 30, um, which includes um, two or three self-employed um, associates that we use to help us with specific skills or, uh, or peaks in, in demand, but really just under sort of 30 employees now. So you have just on, just around the, these 30 employees and, um, and tell, tell us why you set up Hat Mill in the first place. Okay, um, so I was working for a uh, a big four um, as a as a management consultant, and I was um, yeah I was I was enjoying the work. We were doing interesting stuff. I was leading their logistics consulting team, and you know, we'd we'd grown that quite well. But I was increasingly frustrated with the amount of um, bureaucracy and non value adding activity that you would have to do to get on within a big four. And fundamentally, I started to recognize that I think the, 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 the pyramid with a partner at the top and various layers of um, structure beneath each partner um, is a broken business model. Um, and, and the reason it's broken is that in order to climb up through the pyramid, you have to excel which is you know, fair enough and, and, and fairly straightforward and, and fairly normal. However, th- there are two ways to, to excel um, and, and be promoted to the next level. Uh, one is to outperform your colleague, or the other is to make your colleague look worse than you are, um, if you're both sort of battling for one position. And the, the effect that I saw that had on the quality of client work was, was quite detrimental, and it, and it, was, a, it was a frustration. Um, and I felt a bit torn in terms of, do I do what is the right thing, which is just focus on delivering great work for the client, or do I step away from that and let some of my KPIs, you know, sort of drop a little bit in terms of, in terms of what the, 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 the KPIs were and what, how you measured? And do I go and spend days down in London schmoozing with partners to, to you know, get myself known and ingratiate myself so that when the promotion round came, um, you know, people would know my name. They would know who I was, and and you know, hopefully, hopefully, get promoted. But it just felt like an utter waste of time going and doing that, and rather than actually generating revenue and pleasing clients, you'd even been told, right? Like to get promoted, you do need to go, uh, you know, hang out with the partners because otherwise, you won't yes. get that promotion. Yeah, so yeah, you've absolutely. been so deliberately in encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. So I was in, based in a regional office in the UK, so I wasn't in the sort of the, the central hub, London hub. Um, and you know, you're up against everyone from around the UK going for different, uh, different promotions. So, you know, I was unknown to many partners because I wasn't based in London and, and you're right, but I was told you, you need to go and be, you know, be, be better known. And when your name crops up, people can put a face to it. 
And so what did you do when you, when you sort of had that feeling of like, well, I can either um, deliver what feels right for the client or I can go, you know, schmooze the, the partners and try and get myself a promotion and make, make my peers look bad? Um, so, well, I didn't do the make my peers look bad. Um, I'm to <laughs> Glad to hear. Um, um, but but I, I did do um, some schmoozing. It clearly wasn't good enough because I didn't get promoted. Um, so maybe my schmoozing uh, needs a bit of needed a bit of work back then. It might still be just as bad now. Um, but you know, you do you do find yourself sort of going down and you know meeting people for coffee and chatting about you know what you do and all that sort of stuff and. It, you know, it was reasonably enjoyable. It wasn't an unpleasant experience, but it just felt a bit odd, and it felt it felt like it was the wrong thing to do, you know, in order to progress. So, I was I was then on a project in in Aberdeen. So I was working away from home. We just had our, our second uh, second daughter at the time, and you know, you start to reevaluate things. You're spending a long time on plane and planes and sat in airports, and came to the conclusion um, that actually I've probably got a good enough network, I've probably got enough work experience to then go and sort of sort of stride out on my own and, and, and sort of go and become a, a one-man band, um, which at the start was the only intention really. Um, it was to you know, jump out of the big firm structure and go and, and, and have the simplicity of having total client focus mm. so I could just go and work with a client and work on two key metrics. Um, and they, these weren't formal metrics, it was just what I had in my mind. Um, one, is the client happy? And two, and probably most importantly, are they paying their bills? Because that's always nice if I can pay my mortgage. So, and as that started to, to work and I got my first client, the simplicity of that versus what I'd previously experienced was, was, was almost overwhelming in that it's, you know, it, it you can be much more productive. You can be much more efficient with your time, and and, and therefore, um, far more you know, in, improve client satisfaction. And and people are happier, and you start getting more referrals, and it, it sort of starts to snowball from there. Um, and were were you focusing on supply chain straight from the start? Yeah, I've always been in logistics and supply chain. So mm-hmm. um, back at the start of my career, uh, I used to work for ASDA, where I was on the logistics graduate scheme, and I progressed into setting new warehouses up and. Um, and, and running warehouses for us to before I went into consultancy. So okay, so you were that, there. That sort of vertical. Yeah. Yeah, and so you were there. You had your one-man band, and then what happened? So this was in 2009, so not the greatest time to be setting up, although some, you know, some, some theory does suggest that there was all the right times to set up when you're in the middle of a, a financial crisis. Um, and I worked as a one-man band probably for two, two and a half years, and in the in the sort of the latter period of that two and a half years, I became conscious that I was getting more and more opportunities come to me, which I was just turning down. Um, and started, and so I went into the Christmas that year, trying to evaluate. Well, do I carry on doing this, and do I stay as a as a one man band? And you know, my my maximum earning potential will be number of days multiplied by day rate, or do I start saying yes to some of this other work and figuring out how to how to resource it? And uh, I chose the latter. Um, so initially started working with a couple of um, other self-employed people who we would jointly come together and, and work on projects and subcontract some of the some of the projects, although I'd sort of be responsible for the uh, the quality of the work. Um, and that sort of progressed over that year, and then started employing people. Um, and you know, push uh, you know, one thing one thing leads to another, and before you know it, it's a, it's a team of thirty. So uh, and that's where we've ended up, sort of eleven years later. 
But you're not running it the way that the big four run their consultancies, are you? No. Um, so as, as we started to you know, add people to the team, the one thing that was at the forefront of my mind was how do I maintain the simplicity of is the client happy? Are they paying their bills? And how do I ensure that we don't replicate all the non-value-adding activity that I'd experienced before because otherwise it, it just doesn't work? And that, that was a bit of a, it, well, it was, an, it was a bit of a struggle because there's, you know, as far as I was aware, there wasn't a, a manual for how you do that. You know, the, what, what a big four does is fairly conventional. It's a, it's a well-established, long-running way of working. You see it in law, you see it in accountancy. You know, on the face of it, it seems to work because you've got a lot of successful businesses that follow that, uh, that methodology. Um, but with the insight I'd had from jumping out of that and becoming self-employed and, and you know, one person on their own, focusing on those two, two key things, um, it was, it was sort of, you know, how do we grapple with, how do we replicate that level of simplicity as we grow an organization? So you know, how do we eliminate the, um, the non-value adding activity? And, and the more I came to, to think about it, the, the more I realized it was actually the organizational structure that was the root cause of all the negative symptoms. So what we decided was to not have any job titles, um, not have any management grades, um, and just just be a team. Um, and that's fine. And it's certainly, you know, it's quite easy to do when there's three of you and there's four of you and there's five of you because, you know, it's a small team and you can all sort of rub along quite nicely. You don't need a structure to, to do things. Um, but then you get into the point where you get to sort of 12 or 13 and the, you know, the, I guess the term, the span of control starts to be a bit more difficult and people need more attention. And can you really do 12 people's appraisals in an effective way and know that they're not pulling the wool over your eyes? And, and, you know, and then it starts to become a, become a struggle and you, and you find yourself inadvertently and you know, unwillingly slipping back into the structures and things that you, that you didn't enjoy previously um, and sort of fighting this sort of inner battle with yourself in terms of, well, I need a solution, but I know that's not the solution, so, so, so what is? Um, and I had a, an interesting conversation with one of the team at the, at the time and he was, um, he was, you know, a very experienced chap and, and, and good at doing projects, and probably sort of the most reliable and most most experienced person in the team. And I, I sort of, um, you know, as much as I didn't want to have this conversation, I found myself still having it. Saying, "Well, you know, if you could look after those five people, I'll look after these five. And you know, sort of, but trying to tell myself this isn't a structure. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to you know, do a bit of bit of care and, and TLC of the team, and. I, I'm really grateful for my colleague who responded and said, well, Simon, I'm not being funny, but I really don't want to manage anyone. He said, he said I don't mind helping them. He said, but I think I'm a crap manager. I don't enjoy <laughs> it. I don't enjoy having management-type conversations with people. Um, so, no, I, I'd rather not. And and yeah, I think if, if he'd not done that, I think you know, we, might be, we might be in a very different place now. So, it, but, but it sort of kicked me back into... Absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know, we need to we need to find a different way of doing this, um, and 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 then so you start thinking, well, actually, okay, well, we're not going to do that. Um, we won't have that structure, but we need other ways to 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 start um, 
to start helping people and making sure people get the support. So, so we, we carried on and carried on sort of just dealing with issues as and when they cropped up without having, having that structure. And, and it's not easy. You know, there's, there, there are lots of challenges um, as you sort of you know, avoid putting those policies and those structures and, and, and things in place. Um, there's always a feeling that you might be able to do things faster if you did revert back to type um, and, and, you know, and work in the other ways. Um, but you could see that actually having that freedom allowed the, the team to focus on the client and not worry about the promotion. Because uh, the thing about promotions, I always found, was if you get to the end of the year and you've just got this one annual promotion cycle, your, your year has either been a roaring success if you get the promotion or it's been an abject failure if you don't. Mm. If someone is particularly saying, yeah, I, think, I think you're ready for it, Simon. I think you can go for it. Yeah. Um, and then you go, oh, and, you, and you've got to pick yourself back up and you know, dish yourself down and try again for the, for the next year. Um, and in reality, no one's year is that binary. No one has an amazing year or a terrible year. Generally, you know, there's probably some sort of you know, standard deviation bell curve that actually the majority are somewhere in the middle of you know, having a, a pretty decent year. Um, so it, it felt like you know, people were fitting this sort of false construct on, on, on the promotions, whereas actually you should just get feedback throughout the year and get a bit of guidance on what you could do better and, and what you could improve and you know, what you did really well, which is much more reflective of your actual performance. So a lot of companies will say, yeah, yeah, we do that. We do have feedback that we give throughout the year, but you've gone more radical, right? Like, do you even have a yearly performance review? And what happens if you don't get promotions? How do you motivate people? How does this work? So um, it's interesting. So once you've got it into people's heads that um, job titles and uh, formal structures are a false construct, then it's relatively straightforward. Um, it's difficult for people. Sometimes it's a challenge for people who are joining joining the team because they're trying to get their heads around not having status. It's particularly difficult for people who've come from senior positions in other organisations where they have had that job title and they have have had the status because they've got to come in and they've got to earn it because they don't come in and get called vice president and all immediately get the respect of of the colleagues. They come in as consultant which is exactly the same as someone who comes in with two years post-grad experience. So you've got to land, you've got to build your credibility yourself. You're not given the job title and the, and the nameplate that gives you that credibility. So that's quite, a, quite destabilizing for some people I've seen. But once they get used to it, very, they become very comfortable with it because they recognize that they're respected based on their merits, not on, um, not on how, it was, how it was brought in. But in terms of answering your, your question, in terms of how do you do the, the feedback, one of the things that we also recognized was when you have an appraisal with your manager, you're doing two contradictory things in that conversation. On the one hand, you're having your review with your manager and you're telling them all the fantastic things that you did that year. You're telling them you know, you've, you've, you've knocked it out of the park, nothing's been a problem, you've excelled in every area and therefore you should get the biggest pay rise that's on offer and you, know, and you should get the promotion and you've done... You've, 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 been a been a star on the the other part of the conversation that you typically have with your manager at that stage is your development areas in which case you you're meant to be 
very um, open with your challenges and what you find difficult and the areas that you're working on and you've got to appear to be you know, transparent around you know, around the challenges and, the, and the, the things that you struggle with. And it's very difficult to have those two parts of that conversation in the same period of time and often a snatched, con- a snatched conversation that's squeezed into an hour because it's appraisal round and you know, the manager's got to get eight one-hour meetings into their diary in a fortnight that they wouldn't normally do, so they don't do the preparation and all that sort of stuff. And 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 that that process again is in the same way that the pyramid is is broken. So so what we've done is we we've separated it entirely. So we've used um, an external executive coach to allow everyone in the team to have confidential development conversations with that coach. And I don't get to you know set an agenda. I don't get involved at all. I don't. You know, it's totally confidential. I don't hear anything about the those conversations. So they can be about work. They can be about home life. They can be about whatever the individual would like to talk about and whatever they'd like to to get from that session. And then the feedback and the sort of the performance review takes place with the colleagues that they've worked with. So we're a consultancy. So people work with different groups of people in different teams on different client projects and that changes over, over periods of time but they're the people who see how the individual works warts and all you can't you can't hide things from your colleagues who you work with closely and in many cases you're know, living breathing sleeping eating together um you know on, on, on the same project in a hotel and then go to the client size and back to the hotel and all that sort of stuff um so you know so they know the, the individuals inside out so they are the best people to provide the feedback, both constructive and positive and formative, and to score them on their performance. And what we do then, with and the team have developed this, not not me, because uh, I think it's important that they own the process. They developed a, a scoring matrix and a scoring system that aggregates those scores. We have a performance review twice a year, and those scores are aggregated, and those numbers go into a matrix that then stratifies their performance within the group and then allocates the additional pot of money that's available for pay rises down through the team. Mm. And, and who then delivers the message, whether people got... So it's, it's peer-led, you get feedback, you get it twice a year. At the end of the year, if there's money to be shared, it'll be shared depending on this matrix. Yeah. Who, who yes. delivers the message? So does someone have a conversation and give the feedback? Is that you or is there someone else um, that gives the feedback that's come in? So the, the performance feedback, when you, you scored on two metrics, you scored on um, what your colleague's performance is uh, relative to your expectation of them, which is deliberately ambiguous um, rather than, you know, and, and we've sort of got a grading of uh, you met all my expectations, you, know, you, you met most of them but missed on a couple or you exceeded all, which would be a nine. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one to nine scale to give enough space for people to, to find some scoring within that. And then again, one to nine on their behaviours relative to our seven values. So, so it's a value-based thing and a, and a performance-based thing. But then there's a free text field where you need to give specific feedback on why you've scored it. And also you need to have the conversation with your colleague as part of delivering that feedback. So it's, it's all entirely transparent. You know exactly who scored you, what scores. And you also know... Um, why they've scored them and you're able to have that conversation to understand more and, and deepen your understanding so you can you know, look at look at using that feedback to improve or pat yourself on the back if they've been uh, very complimentary of you. Um, the the second part around how, how the money comes out is uh, the, the, our FD and I 
look at the financial performance of the previous year. Um, we don't do forecasting, but we have a we try and predict you know what's what's the trajectory likely to be, and we agree what the um, increase in the salary pot should be. I punch that into the spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet with all the scores does its own work and allocates that money out to out to the team, and we've got um, you know someone who looks after sort of all our admin who then sort of sends out the emails with them. Um, what the new what the new salaries are. Mm, okay. So when they get their feedback, then they know exactly who said what and everyone needs to go to have it. So if you got feedback from six people, you need to go have a conversation with those six people. Yes. Yeah. And in the main, we, we try and do it face-to-face. It's been interesting in the last three months because obviously we've not been able to do any face-to-face, but we're getting quite good at, at Teams and Zoom calls now. Um, but also we're now in the probably fifth or sixth round of doing this feedback. In the early stages, there were you know, lots of teething problems, lots of, actually, I want to say this, but you know, how do I do it? Um, interestingly, their sessions that they have with, our, with their coach, as we come into the feedback process each year, I'm, sh- I'm pretty certain that many of them use those sessions to say, right, I've got this feedback for, you know, for Dave. Um, I'm a bit worried about how to deliver it in the right way. Um, so they use that, those coaching sessions to make sure that they're working the right way to be supportive of their colleagues' development. And, and the crucial thing is that the feedback isn't around knocking someone down if you didn't enjoy working with them because, the, because we've removed the competition. By taking away the management pyramid, we've removed all the competition. They are genuinely, and, when I, when I, and I, I get to see some of the, some of the comments, they are genuine, the, the, the formative feedback is genuinely to help their colleagues improve. Um, and I think that's quite unique from from what I've seen. It's not used as a as a as a weapon to mm. uh, to put someone down. How do you? And I don't know. I don't want to enforce it because you know I don't want to enforce anything because that's the whole point. You took away you took away the enforcement of it because there's no punishment. But how do you make sure? Do you, have you had people that that didn't fit the culture? And and how do you deal with that? Like who tells someone either you're not good enough or you don't fit the culture? Um, we are very, very careful with who we recruit. Um, and that doesn't mean we do 14 rounds of interviews or anything uh, like that that I've seen um, take place elsewhere. Um, we have uh, one person who's fantastic at recruitment who works as part of our team and understands our, our culture. Um, uh, he's far better at recruiting and identifying people than I am because I meet people and go, I think they're great. And he'll go, I don't think so, Simon. I don't think, you know, I'm concerned about this. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll go with your words. So I'm, I'm not tough enough when it comes to that. Um, so we're very careful. But we have had, you know, we've had examples where, where people haven't taken to that, that sort of system and, you know, they, 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 they push back and, and, you know, they've either, we've had some examples where people have wanted to manage teams and they've found that not managing a team in a in a traditional sense has left a gap in their role that they're not comfortable with because they really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, so we've had people who've, who've decided to to you know to, to to go and work elsewhere because that that bit was missing for them and for them that was really important and and that's absolutely fine. It's not for everyone. Um, what's the other challenges we have? Um, the other challenge around when you don't have a manager is you don't have anyone to push a problem up to. And so you don't get, um, or well, you don't get from most of the people. Occasionally, you do get someone who will say, "Well, that's not my job," and there's nothing that winds me up more than hearing someone say that. And because I'm, you know, if you've if you've got the problem, 
and you've identified the problem, you're closest to it, you are the best person to start talking to others about how to fix that problem because you're closest to it. You might not have the answers, but because we've got rid of the competition, people will be willing to help you. But it's n- you're not there because once you've taken the pyramid away, you're not saying, well, actually, that's above my pay grade. I need to be passing this problem to someone else who gets paid more than me as a manager because they need to fix this. Um, you know, that doesn't happen. The ownership of the problem remains, but what you do get because you've removed the pyramid is you do get the support from anyone who you ask for, ask, um, ask for help from. I guess also because your peers will rate you, so you better be helpful. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I think, and also, I think what we've got to now is as we get into the sixth round, six or seventh round. I can't remember how many rounds of this we've done. Um, people are now not leaving feedback to the half yearly review because they've gone had the experience of going through that process, and it starts to be a bit, a bit uncomfortable. Saying, you know, well, four months ago you did this. Hmm. Uh, you know, so we've now got around that, and, it, and it's, it, through doing this process, and you know, it's an unintended consequence of, you know, as people have learned and and, and the system evolves. Um, but people are now starting to to deliver feedback on the job in the moment uh, when it when it's appropriate, but uh, rather than storing up that dissatisfaction for a, a later date when we need to do it formally. But by having that sort of checkpoint in every six months forces someone to deal with it at the time. Because they know they're going to have to talk about it, you know, within a few months anyway. So actually, let, let's do it while it's still fresh and all in, in all our minds. Okay, so this this makes sense. So, but you have like lots of policies and rules to make sure that people know what goes and what doesn't go and what Hat Mill's about. No, we don't have virtually any. I don't think, um, and those that we have, uh, I'm not sure anyone could find them. <laughs> um, they're, they're probably on SharePoint somewhere, but I, I've never looked at them. Uh, we might have had a go at writing something some, at, at some point. The, the the closest we have probably are our seven values um, that we that, that we use to to sort of guide behaviours and and by and we we each have um, we have sort of notebooks and we we get the notebooks bespoke made so that in we have an insert put in in the in the front page which are the seven values. Mm-hmm. So you know we, then people can sort of check check themselves against. Uh, against us and it's things like you know we, we are all one team um you know we always tell clients um you know how it is we're always we're always honest with our clients we take a long-term interest in our clients things like that so all very i don't know on one hand you could say call them very motherhood and apple pie um you know they're, they're almost they're almost obvious but by having them stated and having them printed in everyone's notebook that they carry with them and we use every day gives them the authority that I think they need for people to be able to use them as guiding principles for their behaviors. And, you know, so, so, so that, that seems to work. So this is quite amazing. And I was speaking to someone earlier today, sharing that I was going to interview you and how excited it was for you to, to share how basically you have no hierarchy, you know, no policies, no performance management structures, all of this. And she said, oh, I've been in, I've worked for one of those companies, totally flat. She said it was total shambles. We were all paid the same. So, you know, we all got the same pay, but it just didn't work. It was total mess. And anyway, hierarchies did form. So because there was no hierarchy, hierarchies came and she said, just, it was, just didn't work. Um, okay, I, I have no idea where, they, where I don't know where, but she didn't actually share what company and, and even if I knew I wouldn't, wouldn't share. But I, I'm curious, 
do hierarchies form anyway? So when people are on a client team, does the client know who to come to? Like, will there be like a, a project lead, for example, or, right, or yeah. who will okay. the client lead? And, and will there be some kind of hierarchy coming up or some kind of order coming up in project teams? So there is, you know, the, the, there's always some, a sense of informal, um, I wouldn't call it a hierarchy, informal respect for others. So there are people in the team who, um, like me, are balding and getting grey hair because they've got a few more years under their belt than other members of the team. And in the same way of that, you know, people may live in a village and, you know, and bump into people and show respect for their elders. There's a little bit of that that goes on. You can't, I don't think you can ever get rid of that. However, when we come together as a team on a project, it's down to the individuals. Let's say there's four or five people working on a project. It's down to them as the four or five who are going to lead that project. And they've got the letter of engagement. So we know what services we're delivering to the client. We know what the deliverables are that we've got to produce. It's down to those four or five individuals to decide who's going to play what role, which isn't a, um, a position of hierarchy. It's, it's, it's a, a task-led um, position on the, on the team, but who's going to perform which role and who's going to undertake which activities on the team. Now, one of those activities would be um, being the, the job lead in terms of controlling the budget. And you know, looking at the finances and making sure that we're on track and we're not using too many days relative to the budget we said to the client. But that doesn't have to be um, the most experienced person on the team. It could be the most. It could be the least experienced person on the team because it's it's just a task that needs doing. Um, similarly, in terms of how we work with the the client, we will we will explain to the client right. You know, John is going to to lead this project. He'll be a principal point of contact and he'll chair the steering meeting. But that's not to say that John is the boss of everyone else on the team. That's just the, those are just the activities that, 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 that John will undertake on that project. And if the same five move to another project with another client, they may choose to undertake different roles to improve their development and things like that. So it's, it's, it's open for those individuals. And, and the reason why we do that is just hark back to my, my big four experience. So you could have a situation where, let's say we were doing a, um, a transport planning project. And the person with the most transport planning ex experience in the team of four people was the most junior person. And they'd be sort of you know, the expert in, in doing all the, uh, the analysis and all that sort of stuff. But you might have a director who's overseeing that job. And you get to the end of the project and you're doing a presentation to the client. And the director would insist that they presented it to the client because they were the director. And they were responsible and accountable for the whole project. But every time the client asked a detailed question about, well, why is that number like that? And why have you done this? Director's not, not capable of answering that, uh, that level of detail. They know the high level understanding and they can do, do, probably do the presentation possibly better than the, the, the more junior person. But they can't answer the detailed question. And at that point, they've got to refer to the, you know, the, the, the young spotty expert in the team um, who's done all the work and, and knows it inside out. And for me, that, always, that, that was always wrong because you know, let's have the person who really knows what they're talking about on their, t on their, you know, on their hind legs talking to the client and, and sharing their expertise. And then let's work as a team around them to help them do the best presentation that they can possibly, possibly do and help them rehearse and give them the feedback and, and help them develop. Let's not allow the structure to dictate who does what. Mm. So... 
What does the client say? Do they know that there is no structure when they sometimes ask to, or can I speak to whoever's in charge? Or do they ever ask for that? Like, do they get into that? Um, it's interesting. Um, generally, they don't. And, and what we've come to realize is that um, job titles within a consultancy are generally created by the consultants for the consultants, not for the client. The client, in my experience, will always make up his own mind or her own mind who they rate and who they don't amongst the team. And they will not take any account of whether that person was a manager, a senior manager, or a director, or a partner. Because you know, if they think the partner's a clown, they'll, say, they'll think the partner's a clown and they won't think they're suddenly great because they're, they're, they're a partner. Um, and, and I think that's true of every client that, that I've ever worked with. They will decide who, who's, uh, whose opinion matters and who the ex who's got the expertise and who they'll trust. And they will pick up the phone to that individual, not the person with the job title. Does everyone's email signature then say the same? Do you all say like consultant hat mill? Uh, just says the name. Just say the name. So no title at all. Doesn't even say consultant. Yeah. And and mine is the same as well. Wow. And, and so is everything transparent? Like, because so in my friend's company, everyone was paid the same. They all knew what everyone was paid. She said that was quite nice. Yeah. It's interesting. So as we, as we broke into this, so um, much of, the, of what we do now, but let me backtrack slightly and remind me of the question if I, if I go off on a tangent, maybe. Um, we were sort of figuring it out for ourselves. And when we were recruiting someone, probably, what would it be? Probably four years ago now, I think. Um, I was having a conversation like this and describing, probably not in as much detail, describing how we worked. And, uh, and when we were interviewing, the guy, the, the guy I was interviewing said, You've based this on Frederick Leloux's book, Reinventing Organizations, haven't you? And, and the meeting sort of the interview stopped. And we always do our interviews over dinner or lunch to, to allow people to be in a, a more relaxed, you know, to get to know the real person rather than a stale meeting room and a small round table. Um, and we sort of stopped. And I, I looked at my colleague and went, No, never. What, what, we based it on what? He said, there's a book, Reinventing Organizations. It's by a guy called Frederick Leloux. He's been around the world. He's researched all these businesses and they all work in this way with you no know, management structure. And so I quickly got my pen and uh, <laughs> tell me again the name of this book. And, and so I got a copy of the book that weekend and I'm, I'm sort of reading through it. And I don't know if you've seen the film, The Usual Suspects and the scene at the end where he realized that uh, there's, there's character that Kevin Spacey's been playing has been making it all up, just reading words and making up names based on what was in the room. But I was flicking through this book and I was sort of having flashbacks going, oh, yeah, we do that. Oh, yeah, no, we do that. And then I'll turn to the page and I'll go, oh, that's how you get around that problem. That's what other people have done. So, you know, it was like a, um, you know, a real moment of awakening to say, actually, we aren't the only organization who are sort of rebelling against the tradition. Actually, there's hundreds of these businesses around the world doing it. And this book is probably the best example I've found of doing that research and codifying these ways of working. Um, and he talks a lot about the evolution of organizations or hierarchies and things. Um, but it, it basically, you know, sort of takes uh, as a, um, you know, a piece of evolution is a, he calls it a teal organization, which would, is sort of where we fit into it. He gives all the others different colors. Um, and, and, you know, so we're now able to base a lot of what we do if we have a problem I'm able to put, pull that book off a bookshelf and say, well, actually, what, what's the research there? How have other businesses who've been doing this for longer than we have tackled these issues? Um, so, so that's sort of become our, um, you know, our sort of reference text for, uh, for what to go and look at. 
So several years into the whole process, when you've just been inventing it, you realized, oh, we're teal. Now I know what we are. And here's, here's some, some fillers for the gaps. Absolutely. And once you've got that term, you can start sticking it into Google and you start finding other businesses that have worked in that way and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. And you, you realize that actually working in this way absolutely is scalable as much as I was sort of thinking it was some sort of bizarre social experiment that I was leading. Um, you know, the, the people have gone through these growing pains before and you can, you can lean on those and, and read and understand them. The other interesting thing about it is how transparent and open all these other organizations are and willing to share with other organizations who work in the same way how to get over these problems. No one seems who works in this way seems to treat it as um, this really great secret that they've uncovered that they're not going to let anyone else know about. It's, it's like they've had this sort of, um, I don't know, moment of awakening. They go, wow, yeah, this is how every, every organization should work in this way without being too evangelical about it and sort of you know, uh, you know, being too preachy to, to others. But, you know, and you don't go force it on others, but actually if someone comes asking, asking for suggestions, everyone I've spoken to who works in organizations in the, who work in the same way as we do has always been very willing to, to help and always willing to make time to talk about it because I think we, we've got this, this awareness of actually there's, you know, the answers are out there and as much as if I could help someone else, someone else will help me. So I want to go back to the bit where you said about, okay, this is scalable. Before we go to that, just going back to the question, is everyone paid the same? Oh, yes. Sorry, that's how I got to this. Thank you. Um, so no, they're not. Um, we, um, we, we pay people um, different amounts, um, largely based on their experience. And a lot of that is sort of um, linked to what jobs they were doing before they joined. So that sort of determines the, their pay, but it's also linked to what we can charge them out at. So because obviously we you know, we, we charge for our time, so there needs to be a, a connection and a relativity between uh, a day rate that we would charge a client and what that individual um, earns as well. So you know there is a there is a bit of a price setting aspect, and we we're careful not to allow that to and and, and I don't think it does, uh, but it allow it not to creep into creating some sort of pseudo hierarchy um so how do you know what you can charge someone out at if there's no because normally it would be based on this is a director so that person costs more or how do you know what to charge someone out at like um, are there different rates depending on which person you get um there are there are and and a lot of it is down to numbers of you know as a a rough proxy a lot of it is down to number of years experience Mm. um that an individual has as they progress because typically some more years of experience is worth is is of greater value because they've got greater knowledge and experience to that they can deliver to the client but that's about as, as loose as you can get it and we have to be really careful that that doesn't create the hierarchy and the competition and and we allow it to be as fluid as possible and and I'm reasonably comfortable that he doesn't, um, but it's something I'm always conscious of that you've got to keep a, a watching brief on. So do, do everyone know what everyone is paid and what they're charged out at? Um, no, they don't. Um, and when we, when we sort of read the, the, the Lou book, um, there was a number of mechanisms in there. So I, the one I loved, uh, which I think was interesting just, just, from a, uh, just from a real curiosity point of view, was a, a business in the US, I think it was. And when it came to pay review time, everyone wrote a letter to say what they thought they should get paid next year and, and why. And you think, well, okay, is that going to go to some sort of pay review board? No, it goes on a notice board for everyone to read. <laughs> 
which I thought, wow, what a fantastically self-governing way of making sure that people only put reasonable figures on there in terms of what they're, what they're worth, because otherwise they'll just get ridiculed by their colleagues and, and probably and ridiculed for the next 12 months. Um, and what they found was people, sometimes people go, well, actually, I don't think I've done great this year. I've not really added much. I, I think I should be paid a few thousand dollars less. And it started to create that, that, that sort of, so I thought that was really interesting, uh, but we don't do that. Um, when we sort of got, got into this research and, and I sort of talked with the team about these were all the other different mechanisms that others do, um, I said, what do you want to do? I said, do you want it all to be transparent? Yeah, how, how do you, you know, it's your, you know, my view is, it's very much, it is your business. We can do this, you know, we, can, we can do whatever we like. Um, and interestingly, the, what came back was a resounding, we'd like pay to be um, confidential. So, uh, so it, it does remain confidential to, to the individual. So that was the majority vote. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, and, and pretty much, um, you know, well, I think it was unanimous. I, I don't think there was anyone. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't vote, so I didn't want to guide it either way. And I said, look, I said, if you decide that it should be transparent, absolutely fine. I'll go with whatever you want. And you know, you'll know what I, what, I, what I get paid. That's not a problem. Um, but they, uh, they decided to, to keep it confidential. And uh, so, so, so we've, we've kept with that. So I just have to, before I get to the scalable question, which I think is important, just have to check when someone isn't performing and when it isn't working out, I guess you don't wait six months till they get the feedback. Who has the, the conversation and has someone been fired? And in which case, who fires them and who decides that this person needs to leave? Um, so the, the feedback doesn't wait and, and, and pretty much it's, it's taken, you know, it, it's dealt with there and then really, um, and, and, and all sorted out. Um, and no, we've, we've, uh, we've not got into that situation. So, um, I don't know what one to, uh, one, one to wait to see what happens. I think, I think as long as you, you're careful who, who you recruit, um, then you know, it seems to it seems the self management thing does seem to uh, seem to, to to work. Amazing, amazing. So there's a few people that have opted out of the system. Gone. This isn't for me. But no one you've had to say, hang on, this isn't working out. No. Nice, nice. So how scalable do you think this is? Now you're around thirty. Like, do you see this going to? I don't even know what your mission is or your wishes for your business. But you know, how, how big do you think you can go with this kind of model? Um. Personally, I don't know. I, I think it'll, it'll be part of the it'll be part of the ongoing journey. Um, I think if you read some of the research, um, one of the biggest businesses is WL Gore, who do Gore-Tex um, clothing, and they've they've got a theory. And I think this is sort of reasonably well known in, in sort of organisational theory that actually once you get to somewhere between 100 and 150, you get to the point where if you, because you haven't got the hierarchy to, that knits it together, you realize that actually the reason it still works is because there's enough intimacy between team members and actually everyone knows each other or there's only one degree of separation between each one and therefore if you've got a question of who's good at this, you very quickly can uh, get in touch with someone who's, who can help you. Um, my understanding is actually once you get beyond that sort of 150 mark, you lose that proximity and therefore, you sort of need to, I guess, divide the colony and, and, and split it through through some way. So, um, 
I think having that knowledge that that could come one day, and you know, goodness knows, if, and, you know, doubt we'll ever get to 150. Who knows? Who knows where where we'll go and what will happen? Um, but knowing that that is the sort of the next stage once you start seeing the, the you know, maybe some um, you know some fraying around the edges, that it, it's good to know that people have gone through that, and actually maybe we you know, we would divide it into some sort of competency areas, so we would have a a team that actually just becomes Hat Mills forecasting team or Hat Mills warehouse automation team and, and they become you know separate and, and have their own ecosystems. So I just want to go back on one point because you said earlier, okay, well, people, we, we have this executive coach. Everyone goes there, people issues, if I got it right, people issues go there and I happen to know the, the coach you're talking about. So, so Nicola Payne is sort of the the people dealer, the, the anything, anything you have a problem with, you, you bring to her as often as you want, once a month. How, how does it work? So nothing is nothing dealt with in the company, everything dealt with through her? Or how does it work? Uh, no, I think things are still dealt with, you know, so when you say things, I'm guessing you mean sort of issues and challenges and things. So things are still dealt with you know, internally. Um, I think what, my my perception of what Nicola brings to that is she helps people work through what that conversation needs to look like for the best outcome. So you tend not to get people saying the wrong things that makes the situation worse because they realise it needs to be, you know something needs to be dealt with sensitively or you know someone's underperforming or they're not really doing not pulling their weight or whatever. Um, so they're able to have you know, rehearse that conversation with Nicola, I guess, in in a way. Um, that means that they can approach that subject and that situation with uh, the appropriate level of sensitivity, with some ideas around solutions and, and potential ways forward. Um, so I think I think it gives, I think it allows people to bring a, um, a level of maturity to those discussions and remove quite a bit of the emotion from them that otherwise would exist and tends to. Um, allow things to to spiral out of control in a traditional workplace. Mm, so they don't speak straight away from their frustration. They go away and they have that conversation with Nicola, get some coaching oh, well, around it. Of course, that sometimes happens. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are still humans um, with, with the handle. So I think, I think occasionally that does work. But because you've got that sort of, in the background, you've got that feedback framework, mm. actually people recognise, actually we, you know, we've gone off at a tangent here. I've just, you know, I've just said something really inappropriate to you. Let's go and have a coffee and let's just talk about it now. And, uh, you know, the, so I hear about situations like that. So, you know, that's not to say we're all, we're all perfect human beings. Um, we absolutely aren't. We, we still have our frustrations with our work colleagues. But um, from what I see, the way we work allows people to deal with those in a, in a pretty productive way. Mm. And everyone has access to this Coaching, everyone has an unlimited coaching budget or how, uh, no, so how do not, you manage it? It's not unlimited because, as you know, Nicola isn't cheap. Um, <laughs> so um, everyone has a, a one-monthly a one session. Um, they have a more intense session when they first join to get into the coaching methodologies that, that Nicola uses. Um, but once a month seems to work. Um, everyone has it. It's available to everyone. Not everyone takes it up, interestingly. We've still got two or three people who, uh, who say, actually, no, this isn't for them. And you know I'm fine, and if I need it at some point, I'll, I'll put my hand up, um, which is fine because you can't. You know, I don't want to force people to to do that. So it's it's not a requirement that people have, you know, have coaching. It's okay if they don't want to do that. 
it is it is yeah so it is it's optional um most of the team do we've got two or three who who choose not to um but yeah, that that's enti- entirely up to them uh, if they if they don't want to enter into it um we've have people who do it for a period of time and then pause for a few months and then go back to it so it's it's entirely within the gift of the individual to use the facility as they see best nice okay so I'm sure I have a lot of listeners that are now curious about how to do this. Now, some of my listeners are working in very established businesses and are way more than 30 people, and some of them are smaller or might be looking to set up their own business. What, what's your advice to someone who wants to, to do this? And maybe it might have two answers. Someone who wants to do it and who's starting up was relatively small. And what about, you know, if, if some, someone from the big four, I don't know that they can change their system, but if someone from a more established organization listened to this and thought, how do we get it? Like, what, what's the best of this method? Can we, can we use some of this? Like, what's your advice? Um, I think the starting point and you're absolutely right. I've done this from scratch, and I sometimes wonder: you know, could I have done this in an organisation, an established organisation that I'd gone into? I'm not sure. I think you know, that's that is a more difficult challenge. I don't think it's impossible, but I think I think it probably is a more difficult challenge as you can you know, get people used to that way. We've been able to get used people people used to that way of working as they've joined and as we've grown, and therefore it's all we've ever known. So I think I think that helps. I think the before you embark on this journey, whether you're setting out from scratch or, or trying to change an organisation, I think I think there's some probably some key questions that the, the individual who's going to be responsible for leading it needs to ask themselves. Um, number one is what actually you're trying to achieve. You know, so are you doing this because you've listened to a podcast with you and me talking? It sounds really cool. Um, Hopefully that's you know that's not a good enough reason to to have a go at this. Um, but you know, what are you trying to achieve? For me, it was I wanted to avoid the pitfalls of what I saw in terms of the the pyramid model and and how I thought that was broken. So for me, there was a very clear why for for what we were doing and and, and what the objective was. Um, but for others, you know, it, it may be a different one, and this may not be the right solution. You know, it's it's not it's not some sort of panacea, and it's not it's not straightforward, and it's not easy. Um, and it has its frustrations, um, but you know, so I think people need to be clear on today. Why? Are you, what are you trying to achieve? What is your problem statement? Um, you know, why are you doing it? And and who else needs to be committed to it? Because I don't think this is something you can set out. It's certainly in an established organisation on your own, even as the chief exec. You know, shifting something. You know, you 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 rotating the business effectively through ninety or one hundred and eighty degrees because you you're putting the chief exec at the at the bottom of the pile who's then sort of taking a supporting role of everyone above them. And not everyone is comfortable with that. You'll have people who were in senior positions, who loved their seniority, loved their authority, and then you turn them upside down and say, well, actually, you're just here to support everyone else. And I know you didn't quite get that before, but now it's sort of formalized in how we work, and therefore you're far less important than those people who are dealing with the customer. Um, Lots of people would not like that removal of their their authority, their job titles that they've worked many years to achieve. Um, so it's it's not it's not difficult to see why some people will be against it. Um, I think um, the other questions is if you do if you embark on this journey and business performance drops, what are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to you know 
put the put the vehicle in reverse and and back out and and try and get back to where you were because I'm I, I don't know if that would work because then it's like well actually do you really believe in in this way because we we thought we were going over there and now, now you've taken us back just because sales were down or customer satisfaction fell or or whatever um, so it, it's sort of a question of well how committed are you to this and are you going to carry on pushing through a dip in performance if that happens um, and linked to that is what are you going to do if if your best performers your 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 you know your stars of the organization your best salespeople your best traders or whatever it is what if they don't like it and they leave are you still going to persist with the journey and look to replace them with people who do get your vision or or not are you going to replace them with the same people who may come on board and, and don't like it as well there's a lot to think about i think in terms of transforming an organization in this way and really checking the level of commitment that you, that you as a leader has mm-hmm. into making this happen. In terms of starting from scratch and building a team in this way, or let's say you might have a small team of four or five people that is easy to corral and, and talk about this in an open way and say, actually, you know, do you think this is how we should go? Much easier. You know, get them a copy of the book, of uh, Frederick Ledoux's book, Get them to read it. We give everyone a copy. By the way, when anyone joins Hatmill, we give them a copy of the book to read before they start and as part of the recruitment process uh, because that always generates some interesting conversations over during interview periods. Um, so it's very transparent about what, what you're coming into and we talk about some of the, the challenges that, um, you know, the, that it also brings. And for someone who wants to buy the book now, we should say maybe that there's two versions of the book. There is the full text version and the illustrated one, and you'll have a very different experience depending on which one you get first. I would fully recommend getting the short illustrated version. <laughs> um, we talked, we've talked about this, haven't we? Um, yeah, the short illustrated version you can read in an afternoon, um, and it's quite a pleasant read. Um, the, the full text version will take you about three weeks to get through the first third of it because it goes through um, organizational history and it's a, it's a little bit dry, I'm, I'm afraid to say. But once you get beyond that, it's much more about the how-to manual and takes you into a lot of detail, a lot of examples. So it's, that, it's, the, it's the full version I use as my reference text for when we have a problem, but it's the illustrated version that allows the, the, the methodology and the, the concept to land with people uh, in a very you know, uh, short, pleasant read. I have to go back now on what you said, which um, you said, well, are you committed to this even if, you know, business performance isn't great or even if your staff performance leaves, like has there been a time where it was really difficult and you were then questioning, can we do this? Should we, should I just say, no, this is what we're doing and this is how it works and, you know, get on with it. Like, have you had some moments where you considered letting go of this? I think this, I think you have those moments all the time. I think... All the time, you know, you've got to believe that the team will find the answer. Um, you've got to recognize that you don't have the, all the answers, and you've got to be comfortable that you don't have all the answers. Um, you know, when you hit a problem, you, you generally, you, you've got to accept that actually you're guessing as much as the next person in terms of what, what the right thing to, to do is. Um, there's often a feeling that actually, if I was more dictatorial, we could probably go faster. And you know, we might, I might, yeah, I won't get it right all the time. But actually, yeah, could we could we cut through a lot of this? But the but you hold yourself back from that because you know that you would then undermine all the positivity that comes from giving all the people the autonomy 
to, and the and the freedom to figure it out for themselves and own the problems and solve the problems. Because as soon as you start stepping in too much and, and dictating it, people will step back from owning those problems and go, well, there's no point in me coming up with an idea because Simon's just going to turn up next week and tell me I got it wrong and we're going to have to do what he said. And all of a sudden, everyone stops thinking and everyone stops believing in it and, and everyone stops participating in it. And inadvertently, I've created a massive workload for myself that I don't, I don't have a management team to, to deal with. Um, so you, know, you, do, you do have to stop yourself. And that doesn't need to be a major crisis. That, that gives you that doubt. It could be just something little like, um, you know, how, you know, someone how how we're drafting a case study, for example, or something like that. Um, so, so, so that so that's happening all the time. Um, I guess the most recent example of obviously we hit coronavirus and we had a client, you know, client stop four or five projects. That was the time when I guess the temptation is probably greatest to. You know, to feel that you need to step up as a step forward as a leader and say, right, I'm going to take control of this situation. Um, which you know, maybe I would have done if I'd known what to do. Um, but, but I didn't. So I think the, so what we did, we had everyone on a team's call because we were all, we were all at home, um, tackling that and threw it out there. And you know, I shared some ideas of what I thought we, what we, what I thought we might need to do and where, where we might be going with it. Um, and got ideas from the team of what we could do and, and, as a result, I think um, I think Nikki the, the coach was on that call and, and she called out something she said you and I can't remember the exact words I used which she sort of reminded me of them afterwards she said you I, I basically told the team you whatever choices you need to make for your own home life and if you've got you know, a vulnerable relative or whatever you know, choose what you need to do for, for you and know that it, you'll be doing the right thing. For, for the team and you know we've got people who were able to you know young free single who were able to step up and pick up more responsibility we've got people with larger family commitments and, and responsibilities who had to take a step back for a period of time um but i think everyone can go into that recognizing that you know we're all pulling in the same same direction supporting each other and we'd all like to be treated like that by others when we have a, a moment of need for from each other um so i think by doing that, and, and to be fair, I did refer to Frederick Lelou's book, um, and he talked about um, a business in Favi, who are automotive component manufacturers, who you know they had sort of cost cost challenges and things. And he stood on a on on a, a milk crate or whatever in the factory and said, "Look, we can either make redundancies or you know you can take pay cuts." And they decided to take a, I think it was a twenty percent pay cut, so they didn't even have to lose any um, agency staff because they said, you know, "We're all part of the same group. We look after each other." And, and that was the decision they made to be able to to retain the capability. And the thing that I was committed to when we went into the coronavirus challenge was we absolutely need to retain our capability and our capacity that we've worked so hard over the last 11 years to build up to this point so that when we come out of it in three months, six months, nine months, whenever it is, we're able to have that capacity and that capability to, to spring forward. We won't be doing it from you know the capability that we had five years ago. Um, and, and we'll do whatever we need to do to uh, to, to retain that. We could keep talking because I think this is really fascinating. And I think lots of people will be scratching their heads now how to get a little bit of of your hat mill magic into, into the organization. If anyone wants to ask you questions or find out more about how you guys are living it and how you're doing it, is there a, a way to, to figure this out or? Would yeah, you be okay with? I, yeah, by all means, drop me a, a line on LinkedIn. Is probably the easiest way um, to to contact me and uh, and find me. I'm very happy to have you know conversations like this. 
and and help people. Um, there's lots of other organisations. I also think who, who work out work work in the same way that we do. And I've never met anyone who's who thinks it's the the world's best kept secret and doesn't want to talk about it. So very happy to to share ideas and suggestions and and help people in any way I can. Great. Anything else you want to share with the listeners before we end? Um, I don't think so. I think I think in summary, um, how I how do I feel about it all? Um, I think it's it's helped us grow. It's helped us build an amazing culture. Um, it's helped me work with the best team I've ever worked with. Who are you? Seem you, they tell me they're well motivated. They do they do a fantastic job. Um, I'm I'm blown away by the, the work they do every every week every day. Uh, we we get some amazing client feedback, um, and it's it's it, it, it's it's a great methodology to to get a to get a, t- a great team. Um, I, I wouldn't set a business up in any other way after having this experience. Um, where it'll end up, I don't know, but uh, but I think if you've got the if you've got the desire and you've got a you've got a clear problem that you're trying to fix that this might solve. I'd, I'd say go for it, but go for it with your eyes open because it's it's not it, it's not a panacea for all ills. So it's not easy, but it sounds like it's worth it for you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. It's been great talking to you. Before you jump off, thank you for listening and hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss another episode. Also, do come over to nominatan.com forward slash seven, spelled out S-E-V-E-N, nominatan.com forward slash seven, where you can get the seven principles for how to step fully into your power and increase your impact in the world as a leader, a change maker, as who you fully are. Now remember, no matter how busy you are, now is a good time to breathe. Have a great day.